Hi, this is Jim. And this is Bax. Check out our podcast, The Step Over, Liberty Ballers Podcast Network, for all of your Sixers' needs. Player analysis, game breakdowns, who would look coolest in a headband, and more. Subscribe to Liberty Ballers Podcast feed on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts, and check out The Step Over, a podcast about Sixers basketball. Mostly. Street Hockey Radio. That's right, BSH Radio. My name is Bill Matz. I am your director of fun and games for the evening. We've got some stuff for you. Believe it or not, we keep on going. Just when you think we're out of topics, uh, the NHL put out another list. So we're just going to kind of steal that. But no, we, of course, will continue doing our top 25. Lists. Our top 25, 125, our own list that we roll out daily. Uh, and we've got a bunch of other fun stuff as well. So let's just get right into it. Let's start with the introductions. Back from her vacation sailing abroad, the bespectacled spectacular Kelly Hinkle. I don't know if we're going to call Maryland abroad, but it, in a lot of ways, it is like another country. Um, so speaking of lists, the NBC Sports Network released its list of nationally broadcast hockey games today. And I was really excited because it seemed as though rivalry night had died, but it turns out it's just... Chicago Blackhawks Wednesday under a different name. So I didn't see. Were there that many Blackhawks games? I didn't 19. see that. Nineteen. Nineteen. Wow. Well, how many do the Flyers have? Seventeen. Okay. I mean, it's not that many more. I did want to correct the headline more on our better, site. Right? I did want to correct the headline <laughs> on our site. It said we have seventeen games on NBC or NBC Sports, and actually, all of our games are on an NBC affiliate because. That's who the Flyers have their TV through. But I get it. The national games are on NBC and NBC Sports. Yeah. I looked at the schedule, and it didn't look that bad. It's better than it has been. Calgary gets season. represented a little bit. We a see some Toronto. Canadian teams. Yeah. yeah. I mean, having rivalry night being dead is good. It's because very that was good. just such a joke. It was ne- hardly ever rivalries. No. And it, it always started at 8 p.m., which was outrageous. Well, me. I prefer 8 p.m. games. Personally. When when Down Goes Brown did that video, like the uh, we're sh- we're showing you the Canadian teams because you're never gonna they're never gonna get seen on yeah. NBC. Was it the Oilers or the Flames who he like intros them and he's like, and this team will never be seen on NBC. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it could have been the Oilers because it was long before they got McDavid. I just can't remember which I don't remember. team it was. I don't but I, there were a, like a number of double headers, and there was a lot more Canadian teams. And like, you know, I'm all for growing the sport. In America, however, considering the talent on teams like Calgary and Edmonton and Toronto and Winnipeg, I kind of want to see those teams a little bit. Obviously, Ottawa is a joke and don't even belong in the league, let alone on a national broadcast. But I was... The national TV schedule had a little bit less Buffalo, and that made me happy. Oh, same. (laughs) Yeah, we don't really need any. Even though they'll probably be better this season. Uh, I don't care. Let's get to the number one beat reporter. In the Philadelphia area, from TheAthletic.com, Charlie O'Connor. 
Okay, so I'm going to jump into debate mode already. <laughs> I'm here for We're it. We're going to talk about this in a little bit more detail. Talk about the top 20 defenseman list of the NHL Fired network. up Chuck. I love but fired up Chuck. I want to throw out a hot take because this is a hot take. This is absolutely a hot take in terms of the way that I think most of the people on Flyers Twitter believe. So they announced their top 20 list NHL network. Our very own Shane Gossis Bear made it as number 17, which is great. Everyone should be happy that a Flyers player made this list, especially a defenseman considering how long the Flyers did not have really any great defensemen. Especially homegrown. Especially homegrown. Mm-hmm. But the anger at Flyers Twitter seemed to stem from the fact that Ivan Proroff did not also make this list. And the unspoken, and then later as the day progressed, it became more outright spoken sentiment, was that obviously Proroff is the best defenseman on the team. So if Ghost made the list, Proroff should have made the list as well. I am here to say this. I voted Shane Gossespierre over, over Ivan Proroff this past season for the Barry Ashby Trophy, which, which beat writers have the ability to vote on, for one reason. At this moment, Shane Goss' bear is better than Ivan Provorov. He's significantly better in the power play. It's not just because he has the role on power play one and Provorov doesn't. You watch Provorov on power play two, he kind of sucks there. So Ghost has a massive power play edge. Ghost's 505 metrics are better than Provorov's. Not to say Provorov's are bad, just that Ghost's are better. Ghost is better at zone exits. He's better at entry defense. The only real aspect of 505 play I could say I think Provorov is a bit better at is coverage in the defensive zone. But I think Ghost dramatically cut down the gap between the two this season because he improved significantly in that area. You can argue Proveroff plays penalty kill and Ghost doesn't, and that's a note in Proveroff's favor. However, I don't think anyone would argue Proveroff is doing it well, so I'm not going to give him a big boost for it because no one on the penalty kill has done it that's, well over the past few years. That's the thing. Perhaps with a different coach or different Maybe. scheme or different line mates, he'd be an excellent penalty killer. We have no way to know because the penalty kill is trash. I just need him to stop flinging his body down on the ice. <laughs> yeah, that would that'd be good. Um, now, to be clear, this doesn't mean I think that Ghost will always be better than Proveroff. Ghost, when he was 21, which is Provorov's current age, Ghost was just leaving college. Provorov at that age already has two seasons of top pair defenseman minutes, but I do believe that at this moment right now, Ghost provides more on-ice value to the Flyers than Ivan Provorov. Does not mean that I think that will be the case next year, two years down the line, five years down the line. Right now, I think Ghost is the better hockey player, and I will hold to that. I agree with you. Um but there's there's a couple different aspects. So not only what's happening on ice, but if you're expecting players to get national attention, Ghost is going to get more attention than Provorov just because of the type of player that he is, the style that he plays. Um, so there's definitely that piece as well. And the points, I mean, are, are there. Yeah, they're shiny. They're, yeah. they're, they're exciting. Yeah. That That's what people are going to pay attention to. And the last piece is that having two number one defensemen is not a bad thing. Very true. It's not bad. Saying that Ghost is better than Provorov is like, I, I don't know, saying Gruyere cheese is better than Gouda. They're both really good. Yeah, it's like the... I'm uh, here for it's like It's like if you're, if you're a Predators <laughs> yeah. fan, like... You can have a legitimate debate that any of their top four defensemen are the best of the four. And that's what's, I assume, great about being a Predators fan, is that you have four awesome defensemen. Hopefully the Flyers will get to that point. Right now they have two awesome defensemen. I think Ghost is a better of the two, but they're both really good. Flyers fans don't know how to deal with having many good players at the same position. It's not something that we're used to. We don't know how to handle it emotionally. We can't. (laughs) We don't know how to react. It's like, oh no, there's two of them. I have to pick one that's better. And then they've got to trade the other one. Right. We can't like them both. We have to pick one that we like and the other one we have to hate. It's just like, let's just enjoy 
Yeah, and that's having two a list, especially in the summer. Like, why do you think the list exists? Just to put out there and say, "This is a definitive statement. Goodbye." Like, it is supposed to engage people. It's a smart. That's what a list does. And putting Gossip Bear on there, there's something that I guess a lot of people just think Provorov's better at defense. Therefore, he's the better defenseman. In my head, the way hockey is going, and it's going there at a snail's at a snail's pace, is towards positionless sport, and it's about the five guys who give you the best value who's best at helping you win games and we saw a big step for Provorov this year and he had the you know the goal scoring number and we always say there's no production on the power play so wow five on five you're scoring a ton of goals all that stuff but right now I will agree Ivan Provorov probably number one defenseman material down the line Gosses Bears just helping them win games and I don't think it's a coincidence in the one year Shane Gosses Bear had his quote unquote down year. The Flyers missed the playoffs, and the two years he was, you know, electrifying, they make the playoffs. Anecdotal, but yeah. it happened. Yeah, and what was super exciting to me about Proveroff in particular is that, like, maybe this was the bad thing for Ghost. Like, we all agree that Ghost did not have a good playoff. On the other hand, I thought Ivan Proveroff, like, his play in the first five games of that series, I'm not even going to count the sixth game because he was playing with one arm. His play in the first five games of that series, that was to me like, that's what I envisioned Ivan Proveroff being when he hits his peak. Like, he was dominant. The Flyers were, were, when he was off the ice, Flyers were getting killed by shots differential. When he was on the ice, they were about breaking even, which was pretty incredible considering he was regularly facing Crosby and Malkin pretty much exclusively. So to me, like the playoff performance for Provorov, that hopefully was him taking that step to being better than Gossesbury. I just don't think he's taken it yet, at least over the course of the full regular season. And hey, if this is the debate we're having, not who's the better buyout candidate, Laterra or Weiss, <laughs> like, I'm here for it. The answer to that is yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, um, exactly. And it's the same way the other way. Like, yeah, who's better, Ivan Proveroff or Shane Gosper? Who gives a shit? We got them both. Yeah, exactly. I didn't introduce you yet. Right, you Steph? you okay. did not. Last, no. but certainly not least, Stephalicious D. Steph Driver. Welcome to Broad Street Hockey Radio, the only Philadelphia Flyers podcast if you are aggressively ignorant. Um, <laughs> I just People have forget that I, I've got just a, a little note that's completely irrelevant from anything that we're going to talk about tonight. But if you are a media member who spends the majority of the time shitting on other media members in the Philadelphia area and you talk about the Flyers, you just don't deserve to have that spot. Like, get something else to talk about. Find a different obsession. Find a new slant. Find yeah. A, like, it just, it, it's classless. So that's all that I'm going to say. We're going to talk about the Flyers because that's what we're here to do. It's a normal collar. Imagine Move it. on. All right, so we got we kind of got to this uh, this ghost making the top twenty list, and I'm sure we will break down this list quite a bit tomorrow on uh, Ice Sport Radio. But is there anything that really stood out to you, any other than the other than Provorov and his exclusion from the list? I suppose should I'm, Ghost have been higher? There were a anything. Few, there were a few guys in the list I didn't think yeah. should have been on there, or at least I thought were too high. Like we were talking about it before the show, Chris Letang. Yeah, Wierenski was the big one for me. Like, I like Zach Wierenski a lot. I think Provorov is better than Wierenski, mm-hmm. and I think that like Wierenski was twelve. Like, if you're gonna put him on, I feel like he's like in the seventeen to twenty range. I think Seth Jones is a better defenseman than him. Yeah. So like, I'm not gonna put the guy who I think is the second best defenseman on the pair right now near the top ten, and not even 
and like I I don't know. It's just like Jones was sixth, and that's cool. But I don't know. I'm, I'm iffy on Wierenski being that high. And then uh, the big absence, I just made no sense to me was Giordano. Like where the hell's Giordano? That's crazy. I didn't. I didn't even. Look, I didn't really look at the list. Oh. I'm going to be honest with you guys. Well, I just scrolled through it right now. Bold choice to put Charlie McAvoy, a rookie, on the list at 19. McAvoy yeah. makes it. Giordano doesn't. Yeah, that, that is, was that was weird. Yeah, I mean, weird. Hamilton and Giordano last year were like well, Hamilton the best made pair it. in hockey. Dougie Hamilton made it. Yeah, I'm just like Douglas. You Douglas. Would, yeah, <laughs> you like you Douglas. hate that Dougie. I hate that they call teach me how to Douglas. Um, yeah, I just, that's that's surprising to me. Okay, it was weird too because to me, like Giordano is the type of guy that hockey people should like more. Because he's just so sound, like all around game. He just there's very little he doesn't do well. But for some reason, it seems like he gets left off a lot of these like elite defensemen lists, and it's weird to me because he's awesome. He's, th- he's an awesome player. Some of that Western Canada bias, like know how many people actually watch Calgary games. That was one of the things I was happy to see in the in the um, whatever the hell Kelly was talking about. Oh the. <laughs> the schedule was that we're going to see more Calgary and like with a player like Johnny Goudreau, one of the best Americans maybe ever by the time his career's over. Like, uh, yeah, I want to see more of that team. And Giordano is a big part of that. Yeah. I, I, I just, you put a rookie on the top 20 list. I think that that's bold. It is. Yeah, it is. And I, I think that's one of those things like, like Bill said, they put these lists out to get people yeah. talking, and that's and like throwing a Charlie McAvoy on there. Well, and it's also it I mean the, the Bruins are a big market; they want to keep them that's, happy. Yes, and that's the thing. If Charlie McAvoy played in Dallas, we would not be seeing Charlie McAvoy's name on no. there. Or like that's just not the way it goes. Klingberg made the list. Well, Klingberg, very yeah, high I'm, up. I'm, I'm Klingberg is an Klingberg. excellent defenseman who's got more than one year in the league. I'm sure two years ago Klingberg's not on that list. <laughs> it surprised me that, uh, and I, I actually I like him a lot. Um, surprised me that he made this list just because I feel like he just wouldn't be a player I'd expect them to put on this list is Tory Krug. Like I like Tory Krug a lot. Like just sixteenth. Like you're. I don't even think. Like I've I've talked to people who follow the Bruins very co- closely, and the Bruins don't even believe Tory Krug is a number one defenseman. So the <laughs> fact that he's sixteenth in the NHL. Like look, I think Krug is great. In terms of pure value he provides, he's awesome. But when the Bruins are like, no, we, we don't feel comfortable putting you above second pair, and you're putting him 16th on a best defenseman in the league list, like that just strikes me as a bit odd. Well, good for the Bruins. <laughs> Embarrassment of riches there, too, I guess, even though they don't even see it. But that's, I, I mean, them. that's that's always been the Bruins. Oh, I never did my hot take. Hey, um, hey hot take. Give me Carlson now, damn it. That's spicy. Okay. I, I'm so glad that you're just sticking to this. Like, the, There's just no reason oh, not yes. to go get him. He says he's 110% healthy. He's found his new normal. I mean, the his, reason is that they're not giving him up. Like, it's not that you're then not going offer to offer something good. I'm sure they are. Ah, I think Ron's too afraid. Prove well, me wrong, Ron. Hagan a fourth. All sorts of draft picks. Give him everything. Uh, but to build off Kelly's point, I would, are we done with the list here? Yeah. All right. To build off, it was our hot take essentially. Yeah, that's. I wanted to just get to it, and then I saw it was in Charlie's thing, so I figured we'd just make it a we just make it a a topic as well. But I want to get to the fact that the Flyers will be playing seventeen times on national NBC or NBC Sports uh, telecasts, uh, featured in six major national TV games, four on NBC. They've got the. 
that game they always play on Black Friday with the Rangers. Oh, yeah. They've got the outdoor game uh, with the Penguins. So there's some big ones out there, plus some Wednesday night hockey. Uh, obviously, the league and NBC have always been more interested in local ratings than featuring entertaining teams. Uh, that may make people actually want to watch hockey. But, Might help. Yeah. But what do you think this says about how the league views the Flyers? Is it just that we are one of the markets that actually watch hockey? Or do you think this is, oh, hey, this is a team that actually might be worth watching since they seem to have made a little bit more of an effort to feature teams like Colorado and Calgary and Toronto? Well, not to say that this is the only reason, because I'm sure they do have marketing plans and whatnot, but it doesn't hurt that Comcast literally owns the Flyers and also owns oh, NBC. That probably helps just a bit. Just say it. I do, though, think that there is something to the fact that their whole thing this season is pushing young and exciting players that people are going to want to watch, and they're featuring the Flyers, I think, the second most of any team. Um, because we do have a lot of young, exciting players that are fun to watch. And I think it's important. I think it's easy for Flyers fans to lose sight of that sometimes. You get a little bit myopic. But I think that outside of Philly, it's a, it's a fun team to watch if you're a hockey fan. I'm actually surprised that they're featuring the Flyers as much as they are because the Flyers ratings last year were down a lot. Yeah, local ratings. Locally, yeah. Yeah, yeah you're, so you're right there. It's it's a little bit interesting to me that they've been rewarded like this. I do. I did notice, um, you know, Flyers are usually featured heavily a lot, especially in the first couple months of the season. But I feel like I noticed quite a few games kind of near the end uh, in terms of, you know, oh, we're going to put them out there during the playoff run. So I think maybe expected we're going to we're going to feature the teams that we think are going to be there at the end. And it could be, it could very well be them because it's always a fucking dogfight for this team to make the yeah, final the playoff spot. Are, play the playoffs are set oh, up God. so that unless you're one of the top two teams yeah. in your division, it's a, it's a I mean, that's just kind of the way it's going to be now. Fair. Yeah. They want it to be that way. I just yeah. hate it. You're, you're, not, you're not wrong, though, about the young talent thing. Like, we scream about the Flyers all the time, but the biggest problem they had last year was, like, lack of depth. It wasn't that their high-end talent wasn't really good. You know, you're looking at a team that had a guy who very easily could have got nominated for the Hart Trophy, a guy who finished second for the Selkie. You got two super great, fun defensemen. I mean, Provo and Gossip aren't just good defensemen. They are fun defensemen to watch. It's not like either of them are a stay-at-home type guy. This is, and then Connecty super fun. Like they have a lot of fun young players, and even their older players at the top of the lineup are still fun. Drew's still a fun player to watch. Voracek's mm-hmm. fun to watch. Like they have good, they have good high end talent. Their problem over the long term is likely still going to be the rest of the lineup and the goaltending. But in terms of excitement, I mean. Hell, in terms of excitement, having a bad goalie actually is exciting because yeah. it needs more goals. Yeah, no, right. I mean that's we talk about how great that uh, how great that Nashville blue line is, but you look back, it was the first couple of weeks last year they played a six five game against Nashville. Yeah, yeah. Like and Pecorene almost won the or did he win the Vezina? I don't remember. He did win the. Vezina. He did. He won yeah. the freaking Vezina, and you have that going on. Then like that's a lot of fun. If Brian Elliott just goes down on every shot and they can shelf it over his shoulder. It's an entertaining game. Oh, God. As long can as the Flyers, the other goalie? As long as the <laughs> Flyers keep up, it's a lot of fun. So uh, I, I am looking forward to that. I did count nine of the 17 games that are going to be on national broadcast, and some of them will be blacked out because they are, they're going to be on local uh, 
CSN, NBC, whatever the hell it is, too. But nine of the 17 are at home, uh, including the stadium series. I'd like to use this opportunity to tell Flyers fans right now, prepare for these games and go and freaking be loud. Oh, God. We're going to get in trouble again. Philly will be heavily featured on NBC's broadcasts. Let's give them an environment worthy of these national telecasts. I'm tired of hearing how good the environment is in shitty places that hockey doesn't even belong in, like the desert and Nashville. You know what? This is Philadelphia. I don't care if it's a different building. I don't care if it's different style. These are still the Broad Street Bullies. Be freaking loud. Dave Hackstall sucks. I don't care. I, I was do. actually. I was. That has nothing to do with the fans. Fans want the team to win, so say it out loud while you're at the game. I'll tell Dave Hackstall he sucks out loud during the game. Yeah, I mean we we got in trouble for this. You and I, I, think, I did with people last season uh-huh. when we yelled at them for, you know, not. Doing oh yeah, all those boohooers with excuses yeah. who don't at, who are don't fair weather anything, fans. I don't have anything like, to cheer for because Dave Haxall's boring. Well, what and, the hell did you buy a ticket for, dummy? I mean, the thing <laughs> is, like, it gets back to Steph's point about the ratings going down, and a lot of the argument was that nobody's watching the games because the games are boring because Dave Haxall sucks. Which, okay, you um, watch that Rangers game at the end of the year? I mean, this was, <laughs> that was the opposite of boring. Yeah, gonna, no, that one was fun. You yeah. can point to the amount of fun games there were last season. You can point to them because the rest of them weren't. I don't. If you win more than you lose, you're a fun team. I don't care how they do it. I mean, okay. I was gonna. I have a different opinion than you. Yeah, I wasn't going to bring this up tonight. I was going to save it for tomorrow's NHL show because it's not really flyer specific. But there was a thing in ESPN over the weekend about um, Alex Kovalev complaining specifically about Dan Bilesma and the risk averse nature of every single NHL coach. So it's not really just Dave Haxtell. It is a league wide problem that these guys punish players for going outside of the box or being too flashy or not playing the system. It's a whole thing that happens. It's not just in Philly, but other teams get cheered for you're paying a lot of money for a ticket your team's going to be showcased on national television you want to have the reputation of being the worst building to play in in the league like we used to have you have to make that atmosphere yeah, that's but you what if that's not a thing that people care about like what if people just well, care should... about going to a hockey game and having fun like i, know, I, don't, I don't what's I don't fun care. about sitting and being quiet yeah or or not cheering and then only booing like at some like other think, people have fun in different ways. The I team mean, won twenty two games and won most intimidating fans. Yeah, like other, I don't want to hear they're boring. I don't. Think they it, are boring. I don't think it's out of line to say that there is a a particular way that hockey fans act at hockey games that builds a certain atmosphere that's meant to make a home game harder for the away team to win because the home crowd is playing a role in the game. And it used to be a thing in Philadelphia. League-wide, the reputation for playing in Philadelphia was that it was a difficult building to play in because of the role that we played in the atmosphere in the building. And we're not doing that anymore. You can say for whatever reason, there's a million reasons, but the fact of the matter is, if you're buying a ticket to a Flyers game, you can choose to either make the building intimidating or you can choose to sit on your hands and text your friends and do tweets and then boo at the end of a period because the Flyers aren't winning. These are choices that people make. If you choose to sit on your hands and not cheer, then don't complain that people don't really give a shit about playing. And no more excuses. This is this this is the the two extremes. And saying that someone's on Twitter and tweeting doesn't mean that they're not cheering. I mean, you and I have been to hockey games together, and we were both sitting on Twitter 
and we were both cheering. Like these are we're things very talented. These are things <laughs> that you can do at the same time. I would put a cell and Wi-Fi scrambler in the stadium so people were forced <laughs> to pay attention to the Seth game. Seth and I are busy texting Charlie trying to get the Wi-Fi password. <laughs> it's just your Comcast and login. Yeah, I know. <laughs> um, it, I, I, this is not something that I particularly care about because like the the more rowdy that the environment is the more fights there are and the more dangerous it is for someone who's very small like me i'm not talking about fights though there was no but that one leads to the other like this is not one leads to the other and somebody always ends up getting hurt and then it's typical flyers fans no if you went to a flyers game in like the early 2000s it was a fun yeah. and rowdy atmosphere. It was not just people being drunk and beating the shit out of each other. It was loud from start to finish. There was cheering even when the team was losing. And it wasn't just a bunch of people being pissed off that... Andrew McDonald makes $5 million. Yeah, like... That's uh, all it comes down to. All right. People are pissed I mean, about you're shit. allowed to be pissed off about that, but also... For 60 minutes, put it out of your mind. I said this last season. You're supposed to want this team to win. And they're going to. This is going to be one of the best teams in the Eastern Conference this year. Yeah, I think so for sure. And it's, I mean, just try and have a little bit of fun. But what if their fun looks different than your fun? Like, people have fun in different ways. So Flyers fans have fun than every different, than every other hockey fan base. We're I just don't, a like, quiet, I just, studious people. I, just I don't know what you're and, talking about, though. Like, I, I legitimately don't. You, so you watch the a building's Nashville, a church. Yeah, you watch a Nashville game, and that's not the same experience that you're having at a Flyers game. You can literally hear people getting up out of their seats during a broadcast because it's so silent. That's not the way a hockey game is supposed to be. And it's not like that in most buildings. But it's like that I, here. I, I just I, I wholeheartedly disagree and don't. So you when care. we went to Vegas, you found that atmosphere to be the same as a Flyers game. You thought it was just as as good as that. A Flyers atmosphere is just as good as what we experienced in Vegas. No. And exactly. I've said that more than once. But it was the Flyers fans that were making it fun, not the right. Vegas we fans. We were being loud. And we were very for, drunk. Not all of us. We <laughs> had was, a three hour open bar ahead of time. We were very drunk. I was sober. And cheering. What were you doing at the three-hour open bar? Not drinking. Talking to the wheels. <laughs> no, I, Steph. I was, I was talking to the wheels. wheels. I don't think the team is that boring. So, like, I'm, I'm out. I'm out on like an island here in that. I just think people have decided they are annoyed with the Flyers, and that colors every game yeah. they watch. Right. That's the thing. I'm just. All, my point is very simply that the atmosphere in the building does not come from the team. It comes from us, and we can decide to make it one thing or we can decide to make it another. It's a collective choice that we make as a fan base. And if we're choosing to make it a church, then accept that and accept that people are going to watch Flyers games and be like, oh, it looks kind of boring. I didn't really want this to get uh, to be as much of a topic as this. it is. But no, but I'm enjoying it. I just like It is a choice people make. I, I, I want the building to be louder. I want people to have more of an impact on the game. And I think hockey is the one sport that is played on raw emotion. There's yeah. no time in between plays. You can go minutes at a time without a stoppage. The emotion of the building, uh, I don't know, should, should mirror that of the game. And sometimes it doesn't, and that annoys me. But let's move on to... To our continued coverage of the BroadStreetHockey.com Hey-o. Top 25, Under 25. If you liked that last debate we just had with Steph, I have a feeling you're going to like number 20. But let's, uh, <laughs> should we just recap the list from last week first? Because I don't have it directly in front of me. 
Where'd you go last week's show? So last week we kicked it off with 25 through, what, 21? Uh, Noah Cates, Mark Friedman, a.k.a. Mark Friedman, <laughs> Donique Martell, Matthew Strom, and Taylor Lear kicked it off last week. Now let's get to number 20, one of the more heavily debated players on this show, Nicholas Aubé-Kubel. Comes in at number 20 on uh, on the BroadStreetHockey.com. Top 25, under 25. Bit of a disappointing first season with the Phantoms in 2016-17. Turned it around quite a bit in terms of scoring uh, in his sophomore AHL season. A lot of people kind of slotting him in to uh, a bottom six right wing role. Maybe out of camp. Who knows? He could possibly make the team out of camp. What do we think about his position? Pros, cons, Go. I had him at 17. I think his his con is obvious. He's got to tighten up his game and stop with the dirty hits. Um, but as we've discussed on this show before, I think that's something that can be coached out of him. Um, and I think that the offensive upside that he's shown over the last couple of seasons with the Phantoms is enough that you take a gamble that you can get him to stop with the headshots. I left him off my list because he got suspended three times in one season. And I think that's a liability. It's a lot of suspensions in one Can't season. That. Yeah. In one season, I would have had him over. Oh, I'm not going to spoil it. I would have had him over the person who is 16th on this list. So we will talk about. Um, I had him. Let me see. I had him 11th on my uh, my prospect list. So obviously that doesn't include the guys who are on the yeah. team. Um, but I would have had him. So I, I would have had him over Lear. I know I, I wouldn't have had him over probably any of the other guys in the NHL that are regular NHLers like Haig or Sanheim or obviously any of those guys. Um, I like him. I, I, yeah, I mean, like, he has to avoid concussions or, or has to avoid suspensions. But, like, I I guess I will always say that, like, this isn't going to be a problem. I'm not going to view this as a problem until it shows up in the NHL. If, if he starts if he starts throwing dirty hits in the NHL, then it's a problem. But <laughs> I don't care that much about what happens in the NHL other than production. He does have to avoid concussions. I mean, everybody. Other ha- people. Concussions. Everybody has to avoid concussions, both <laughs> giving them out and taking them. I have him at 15. This might be one of my biggest variances between where the guy actually ended up and where I ranked him. So he's at my top 11 were like my locks. And then after those 11, it was kind of a lot of projection. And I changed my criteria from guy to guy just based on who I like, basically. Uh, yeah. And potential role. Like if he is ceiling third line winger who can do some different things for you awesome you need depth guys too and like Mm -hmm. i always say if you get something out of someone who uh, if they're taken after the first round i if you get anything out of them it's a good pick so that right there is is absolutely cool with me i i I, do you think he makes the team out of camp anybody no i don't just because of a numbers game Mm -hmm. i i think the only I think he has to beat out Taylor Lear for a spot. And Lear is going to have the leg up because Lear is no longer waiver exempt. So they'd have to pass him through waivers. And because Lear spent a full season in the NHL. So he's got that leg up on him. I think Obey Cabell is a more talented player than Lear. But I think Lear is going to win the job. And if, if Lear gets that last spot... I think they send him back. But I, I think Aubrey Kubel plays in the NHL this year, like, was, more, like more than 10 games. So, okay, yeah, because I was looking at um, 
Taylor Lear's first year and thinking that when he got called up, I think maybe for Matt Reed and he just got a 10 game little right, right, little right. try there. Do you think it's more than that? Like he comes up and they go, oh, you know what? He is worth keeping around or is it just an injury replacement? Something like that. I mean, that, that'll that be decided by Nick yeah. Kubel. You know, if he comes up, if, if when he inevitably gets his chance, and I think he will as long as he doesn't regress this year, which I'm not expecting to happen in the AHL. I think he's going to get his chance because injuries happen and there's going to be spots that pop up and he's going to get a shot. And if he plays well, maybe he stays. If he doesn't play that well, he probably goes back down. That's going to be up to him and how well he plays and how ready he truly is for the NHL level. All right, number 19, Felix the Cat Sandstrom. The next Henrik Lundqvist. There you go. <laughs> I totally, I always forget that uh, they got, they drafted him with the pick they received for time again. So if this guy ever gives them anything, it is one of the all-time trades. Former third-round <laughs> pick. Have your expectations changed based on his uh, his his up and down kind of injury plagued season, whatever the hell was the matter with him last year, have your expectations changed for Felix? Because I know in the limited opportunities we've had to see him, whether it be at World Juniors or development camps and stuff, he's always flashed. And I think uh, he won the three on three tournament this year. Yeah. And that's always been a good setting for him because Carter Hart is the. I'm technically sound kind of goalie. And Sandstrom, if you're just watching with, if you're not a scout and you're just a guy sitting there, girl sitting there watching the game, you go, oh, wow, man, he he's making some saves out there. This kid, this kid can play. Is, that's always kind of stood out about him. But you see what happened to him last season. Have your expectations changed? What are we thinking about Felix coming in at number 19? I had him ranked at 18. I think that he is going to be a strong goalie prospect for the team but because of last season I couldn't rank him any higher than that um he had his injuries it wasn't really an injury it was, it was a like the poops, stomach right? thing yeah. yeah like essentially we make jokes about players going out with the poops he kind of did I mean not quite the poops it was like a hernia yeah it? it was apparently like it's hard it, so Alex Appleyard, who writes for for us, the Athletic, um, he had said he had read an article that said it was this like hiatal hernia or something, which sounds like everybody you hear hernia and you think it's a disc. Yeah, you think it's like you know muscle pull or something, but what it really supposedly manifests itself in is almost like really awful acid reflux, and mm. that Ooh. sort of fits with what Sandstrom was attempting to tell us at development camp, like. Sancher wasn't really able to give specific details on like what it was actually called, but I'm pretty sure based on kind of reading between the lines of what he said, it's probably because he's only been given the technical diagnosis in Swedish. So uh, it was sort of like, I have no idea how to actually translate these medical terms into English. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm just going to give you an idea of like what I was dealing with. And it was a stomach issue and I was just constantly in pain and just like couldn't, you know, having trouble keeping food down and stuff. So it might have been this hernia thing. It may have been like somebody... Somebody said that it was related to a battle with mononucleosis he had a couple of years ago. There's a lot of, like, I, I don't think we have a... Flyers probably have a hundred percent understanding man. of what yeah, it right. was, but it wasn't Settle an down, injury. Boys. It was more illness-related. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of where we're at with, with Felix. But supposedly it's fixed now, so... Yeah, I had him at 16, and I've always been super high on him um, for completely arbitrary reasons. Like, I just expect that he's going to be Henrik Lundqvist just because. <laughs> but... Like Bill said, when he's had the opportunity to show what he's got, he's always been very good. And considering that what was ailing him wasn't really an 
injury injury like it's not like he had a groin problem or a knee problem or some other kind of injury that would re appear at some point later in his career um once that's gone once he's fully healthy i kind of expect that we're going to see him kind of light it up a bit Oh, yeah, the, the Swedish leagues. Uh, when you're talking about goalies, the worst thing in the world you can hear is a groin injury. Right, yeah. Ask the GM of this team, Ron Hextall, <laughs> about recurring groin injuries. They never actually go away. And for a goalie with the athleticism of you know Felix Sandstrom, that could be a, a game changer yeah. for him. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, just, that's yeah. not what it was, so that's good to hear. He just hasn't played a lot. He played yeah. un- he, under 20 games last season, the season before – um, he played 22. I mean, that was just regular season. Last year, it was a total of um, 19 games. Uh, the season before, it was 22 regular season, and then 14 playoff games. Um, he just hasn't played a ton of hockey. And I, I, I'm a little bit concerned, and I need to see a really strong season out of him this year. I've always just been skeptical a bit of Sandstrom. Because, like, as you said, Bill, he's a guy where you know you watch him and he flashes. Like he flashes this plus athleticism that even a guy like Carter Hart doesn't have. But at some point, that has, in my mind, like at some point, that has to turn into actual good results. And he's never really had a good season in the SHL. Like mm-hmm. he's had okay seasons. I guess the 2016-17 season was the closest he came because he kind of like seized the job for for Brinos and eventually, you know, kind of was the primary goalie when they went on their run to the SHL final. But even then, he had a 901 save percentage in the playoffs. He had a 908 save percentage in in the uh, the regular season. It's not like he was one of the better goalies in the league. He just happened to be a good enough goalie on a very good team. And the SHL might not even be as good as the AHL. So I like I want to see him actually excel in his league before I start call it, saying like, hey, I'm putting him on the same level as a Carter Hart. Granted, the SHL is tougher than Canadian junior hockey, but like it's still worse than the NHL. So yeah. I, I, I can't be like I can't look at his numbers and say, man, he we just need to get him over here and then he's going to be quick to the NHL. Like I still want him to excel at this level before I get him to the next level. Yeah, that's like yes, the the SHL is is a higher level than Canadian juniors. Absolutely. But you have Carter Hart absolutely freaking dominating yeah. Canadian juniors and when when Sandstrom's oh is that the camera just went down? Yeah. When Sandstrom's been in the SHL, he's been treading water. While yes, it's a tough league and he's a young guy, you want to see him eventually grab the reins there, and that hasn't really been the case except for some uh, except for some small sample sizes, I guess. Yeah, just, and he did really good in the World Junior Championships yeah. two seasons ago. And yeah, he's always done good at dev camps, and the athleticism even wa- even pops when you watch him like outside of development camp. If you watch SHL games, things like that. So there's something there. Yeah, I, I'm just very much the kind of person where like you gotta. I'm all I, I high end talent. That's why I like prospects to start with. I, I think they have high end talent, but at some point you gotta show me results. He just sure. doesn't show me results yet. And we were hoping last year was gonna be the year he finally showed you results, and then he had this these issues. Hopefully this year is the year. Number eighteen on the old list. Tanner Lazinski, is that it? 
Laksinski or Lazinski? Lazinski. Lazinski. Uh, Ohio State kids, sixth rounder in 2016. 17 goals, 47 points for Ohio State last year. Uh, really moving up. I think a lot of people don't know how to take these kids who you know, are in the USHL or in a developmental program and then go on to the NCAA. It's, all right, let's see how he does against men. And... Standing out, I think, really moving up a lot of people's lists here for a sixth round pick. I mean, geez, this is this is some production now. Yeah, no, I think that he had a really good season. I had him at twenty, which I think is probably. I think it might be a little bit low. Um, I think he was at nineteen last year, so he's moved up a spot. I just, you're right. I don't know what to do with these guys that are not playing in juniors or not playing overseas. Like, I just don't really know what to expect from them when they take the next step. And I struggle with college guys knowing that there are different programs with different, I I don't know. I, I have a hard time, but I think that he's going to be a really interesting player to watch this year. I'm a big Tanner Lazinski fan. Like yeah, I he, know you. Yeah, yeah, I know you're big on him. He's been a guy who I've liked for a while. Um, he's just one of those guys where I think what's cool about him is that I can envision him playing a lot of different roles. Okay. Like, I think he's skilled enough where maybe if everything breaks right, he can be a second line forward. And, but I also think that if he's not skilled enough at the next level, that he could be a good fourth line forward. And as, I mean, as a six-round pick, that's awesome. He's just a guy where... Like, I don't think there are a lot of holes in his game. Like maybe he could be a little bit better of a skater, but at the college level, it, it's certainly not hurting him. And skating is it's, it can be hard to can be hard to tell when when somebody's not a, obviously an amazing skater. It can be hard to tell just how he how they like how they compare at a higher level until you actually see them at that higher level. Mm-hmm. So he's a guy I just don't know. He certainly I, I would have loved to have seen him at Dev Camp this year because I thought. Last year at DevCamp, he took a big step forward in his physical ability. I watched a couple of his games at Ohio State this past year, and it seemed like that carried over. He had a really good year for Ohio State this year. Because Ohio State, his freshman year, he showed up, and he was joining a very good team. So he scored a lot of points, but he kind of tailed off at the end of the year, and there was a thought that, well, maybe his, his good season was because he was just on a good team. This past year, he was the best player on that Ohio yeah. State team. Ohio State is not a team that is generally great in college hockey and they got to the frozen four this year primarily because he was just that good. I like his um I like his commitment to the program in that he's saying one of the main cuz he's 21. He's going into he's he's kind of an overager and yeah, he's the, going he's the, 20. The Flyers took him a yeah, year a year after a yeah. year after his first draft eligible yeah. year and he's 21 heading into his third year of college. Um my one thing, and he said, he, like one of the reasons he wants to go back is, yeah, he'll be chasing the Hobie maybe, but uh, they got to the Frozen Four, and he really wants to cash in with his boys. He thinks they have a chance, so I'm all for that. My main concern with these late round, the, let me try that again. My main <laughs> round, my main concern with these late round gems, is, uh, especially the ones who go the NCAA route, is they're out there and they're refining the game and they're using the organization that drafted them as like a professional training ground. So oh, this is what you need to work on. This is what we want to see out of you. And while they're producing for a quote unquote institution of higher learning, uh, they're raising their stock because again, this is a kid who wasn't drafted in his first draft eligible year, and he goes to Ohio State. Like it's not like he went to Boston. 
He went to Ohio State, and all of a sudden, okay, decent freshman year. Oh, wow, best team on a Frozen Four finalist. All right, cool. And then all of a sudden, he's going back. He's over 20 now. He's 21. I'm always concerned that these kids aren't going to sign because he was a sixth-round pick. Like, uh, it's great value. It's awesome. I'm just always concerned that these kids aren't going to sign. And uh, it was this Kurt wrote up the uh, the Lazinski uh, the Lazinski article and mentioned Cooper Marathi and how the Flyers kind of moved him to Edmonton Edmonton because they weren't sure, you know, if he was going to sign. Sure, they got a third-round pick for him, and a third-round pick for a guy who you got in the fifth or sixth round is good value. But when you look at a guy who, oh, yeah, he's probably going to play in the NHL, and then all you get back is another lottery ticket, it's like, I already hit when I spun, and now the, my best-case scenario is spin again and hope to hit again. See, I, 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 I'm not super concerned about that, and I'll tell you why. Number one... I'm not really worried about someone not signing here until the first one doesn't. Um, the next is there are so many players in the prospect pool. They are not all going to play in the NHL for the Flyers. So if some of them don't sign, if you've got to move some of them, that's okay. Because honestly, I would rather have Joel Farabee playing than Tanner Lazinski. Oh, Absolutely. Like it, it at some point you're gonna have to cut ties with a lot of these guys. And not saying all of them, not saying most of them, but a lot of the names that we've come to know and love, they're not gonna play for the Flyers. Oh, and I I make that point all the time is we're not gonna see half these guys. Like we're yeah. not gonna see more than half of these guys yeah. in a Flyers it's, uniform. It's the fun of looking and playing with prospects is seeing who does pan out. My concern and seeing who doesn't. My concern is that because the prospect pool is so deep. If he doesn't say in a year have a guaranteed NHL spot, he just tells Ron, "Yeah, I ain't signing." I, I think I think it's fair. I think yeah. I think it's a fair. And concern. this is just all projection. No, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I think it's a fair concern. He though, could be, love the Flyers because. So I was asked in one of my Q and A, the Q and A I did two weeks ago, I guess, about Wade Allison, and I basically because are, are you worried that Wade Allison isn't going to sign because the Flyers want him to sign this summer and he didn't? I was like, I'm not worried about him. Because I think there are generally two reasons why players don't sign with teams. First reason is if they feel like the team is not paying, not not paying enough attention to them, not valuing them them enough. Like I think one of the guys that Colorado wasn't able to sign, like basically said, like they never talked to me for two years. So mm -hmm. when I got good, it was like I have no loyalty to you anyway. Um, that was number one. Number two is something that's a legitimate concern for the Flyers, which is the prospect looks at the pool and looks at the, the, the NHL level and is like, I when don't, am I gonna crack I don't know where I'm going to fit, so I'd rather sign with a team where I have a more clear path to the NHL. And that is a concern with college guys. Absolutely is. Because with, with junior guys... There isn't that much as much of a risk with that because you can sign a guy immediately before he even knows yeah. what he is, and then just just basically slide the deal until he's ready. Mm -hmm. So when he's ready to turn pro, he's already under contract, and you don't have to worry about him saying, "Eh, I don't know if I love the depth, and I'm better than what you thought I was when you drafted me." So I I guess I can go and do whatever I want. They're stuck. They got to be there for their their ELC with college guys. They have a little bit more flexibility, a little bit more control, so it's fair. And the junior it, guys, fair. the juniors guys come in at twenty. Like you've got, like okay, they had a couple good years in the O or whatever, and then you bring them in, and they're here at twenty. Like Lazinski isn't going to be here until at least twenty-two. He's got this idea of who he is. Like, and, I'm ready to play. Yeah, like I'm ready to play and. 
if it's, oh, yeah, well, we're getting great fourth-line minutes out of Lozinski and Allison. They're sitting there, yeah, I'm helping you win, but my second contract is going to be shit because I'm playing fourth-line minutes. Like, I'm just not going to do that. So well, They just would rather, I mean, Mar- yeah. Marodi, I think, is there's a good chance he makes Edmonton this year. Yeah. So, you know, there's that was a big thing for him. He thinks he's ready. A team is willing to tell him, hey, we think you're ready, too. So, boom. We'll get you in there soon. If another team is willing to, you know, make that guarantee to Lazinski, yeah, you risk losing him. I would hope, though, that the Flyers. I always got the feeling with Marubi that out of the three college guys, he was the one they liked the least. That Allison was number one, Lazinski mm-hmm. was number two, Marodi was number three. I'm le- so, so I'm, I'm I'm hoping that they've they've expressed enough interest and enough, you know, care about Lazinski's development that he will sign with them eventually. That's, I'm least concerned with Allison because like you uh, Kyle, you referenced Colorado. Like Ron Hextall said Wade Allison's name. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we got a spot for you. Like, yeah. so it's... I, they like, want him to play so bad. Yeah. And we'll so, talk about him as, yeah, as and we'll, we we'll get to that. that but like, a guy like Lazinski, who I maybe no one's really heard nearly as much about as like a Wade Allison. Uh, I, it's just a concern I have with all of the late round NCAA players. I was concerned about it with Ghost, honestly, because it's he was probably should have been a first round pick, but at that time, small undersized defensemen who go to Union just from Florida, just from Florida. yeah, that just aren't gonna go in the first round. Doesn't matter if he scored a hundred goals wherever he was when he was drafted. Like it wasn't happening. Number seventeen, the guy I have decided I am all in on. Oh um, he's my new favorite prospect, Jay O'Brien, the next captain of the Philadelphia Flyers, the next Mike Richards, the what? next listen, Bobby Clark. I, listen. <laughs> I'm not saying it's going to be soon. I'm just saying he's the next captain. Don't throw around things like next (laughs) Mike Richards in my presence because that's sensitive. Yeah, but you can throw around next Henrik Lundqvist. That's fine. (laughs) I hate Henrik Lundqvist. Mike Richards is a saint. I know. Mike Richards was the next Bobby Clark and Jay O'Brien is following that on. We've got like five minutes. We have nine. Nine. And we started at 33. So we have plenty of time. All right. Uh, Jay O'Brien was this, you know, they used their second first round pick on O'Brien this year. Everyone knows that. Uh, What do we think about O'Brien? I had him ranked at 21. And I thought that that was like a good spot for him. And apparently that is not true. Um, Yes, he was a first round pick, but... He was playing in high school. Like, I don't know what to, again, this is another one. I don't know what to expect from this guy when he takes the next step. Yeah, he looked great in high school playing against high school competition. But what is he going to do in college? I have no idea. Your girl did not even rank him. So actually, I, because I want- of that specifically, I'm like, all right. I mean, okay, he's a first round pick. He might be something maybe next year. But he's in high school. We do our winner like, rankings. What am I like, supposed yeah. to do with a high school kid? Like, I don't think I ranked Noah Cates last time either for similar reasons. I'm like, he's a high school kid. Like, I don't know what to make of you. You're a child, like literally. So I kind of want to turn this to, to you, Kelly, because oh. there were uh, there were. Oh, dear. Looking at your rankings, like you didn't have O'Brien ranked at all. Yeah. You had Farabee ranked very low. Is your viewpoint just that like. Guys that just got drafted, I am not high on them until they show me something after they're drafted. Well, Charlie, using my proprietary amorphous (laughs) blob of ranking (laughs) metrics, I just for yeah, for me, the guys that literally just got drafted. I don't have 
at this point, it's all potential. Like, there's nothing but potential there. And even though the potential might be super high, I need a little something tangible for me to bump you up to that next step. And I think that, I think when we ranked last year, I mean, I, I, I had Nolan Patrick high just because he was the number two overall. I think that's kind of a different situation. Sure. Um, but like a low first round draft pick very often ends up being nothing. And do I think that's going to be the case with Farabee or O'Brien? No, but I, I don't feel super comfortable ranking them higher than other guys just because as of right now, it's nothing but unrealized potential. There's nothing concrete there yet for me. I, and I that's just kind of what makes these so fun for me is that everybody ranks them we rank, differently. Yeah, we do rank differently. And I disagree on Farabee just because he was playing against more, more tangible competition. I don't remember where I ranked him. Then 21. Um, that might be a bit low. <laughs> yeah, I had O'Brien at 21. He he was playing against competition that I could wrap my head around more than O'Brien was. I mean, there was a there was a little excerpt I wanted to read from Maddie's write up because it was very good, and I think it speaks to something we talked about uh, in the last couple of shows and something we harp on all time: the depth of this the depth of this prospect pool here and. The Flyers can afford a project. In fact, they probably are better off taking a guy who might be a few years away because of everything that they have ahead. And this is what Maddie wrote. With a number of centers ahead of him, Morgan Frost and Mikhail Vorobiev, for example, on the prospect depth chart, there isn't exactly a need to rush him along so he can fill a void on the present roster. The pieces ahead of him can fill in as needed, and he can just get where he needs to be in his own time. If it takes a little longer, no problem. And if he just develops in an insane pace, and pushes for a roster spot sooner than we have sooner than we have ever imagined. All the better, and I think that's might have even been Ron's thinking too in taking him. Is that's exactly. I it. think that pick was very much in play, and when nothing materialized with it, they're just like, we like this guy. Let's take him. Yeah, it, it, and you're with the the prospect pool that we have. You're able to do that when you get Nolan Patrick last yeah. year. You're able to do that. He could take some time. You don't need to hit on every single one of these guys. You've got Nolan Patrick. The funny thing is, I'm actually not. I, I'm. I wonder if he might get here quicker than people think. Yeah, because he is like Farabee needs to put on more weight than O'Brien does. O'Brien's yes. O'Brien's thicker, to use Fran Hexel's yeah. favorite word. He's thicker than Farabee, and I watch O'Brien play, and he seems like a guy where like. He was a risky pick, and he still is a risky pick because you just don't know how it's going to translate. But he plays in a way that makes me seem like makes it seem to me that even if he doesn't, even if the scoring doesn't translate, he's going to be like a feisty grinder, like a Mm -hmm. feisty fourth liner that coaches like. I think he has an NHL floor. Yeah, I think he has an NHL floor, which is cool. Now I'm hoping that he's a feisty grinder who also is skilled enough to play in the top six. Yeah, that would be excellent. That would be amazing. Next Mike Richards, baby. But, like, he's got good speed, he's got good hands, and he plays a relentless style, so I'm liking it. And, you know, we'll see how long that takes, but I could see him getting here quicker than people think because I don't know how much of his... Like, to me, he's a risk, but I don't know if I view him a project. Like, I view Jay Ratcliffe and Matthew Strom as projects. I don't know if I view Jay O'Brien as a project. 
He's just a baby. This it's a, just like, we'll see what he is this year. And if he's yeah. great yeah. this year, then he's not a project anymore. Then it's like, holy crap, they got an amazing first round pick. Before yeah. we move on, this is a bit of a different subject, but it relates to O'Brien. Uh, I just want to bring it up real quick. I've decided I'm all in on him and he's my new favorite prospect and all that. But are you a little surprised? Because I still am that they didn't take a defenseman with their second of two firsts. Yes. But they, they really I just like feel Brian. like they want, that's one of the reasons I really like him is I can't, they have so at this point I feel as if they have more forward depth than they do defensive depth especially top end talent. Um, who was on the board at I, D? I think the guy who the guy who I thought they were going to pick and Bill Meltzer who is more plugged in than me since he actually works for the team he thought they were going to pick was K Andre Miller who was taken oh, by the Rangers a couple that. picks later yeah. and he just screened Flyers pick like yeah. super high character guy big upside he's a project and he would he was a guy who they could have parked in college for three mm-hmm. years and just let him literally learn the position of defense because he was he's a converted forward. He was kind of who I thought they were going to take, and, and Bill was pumping that that whole thing. I liked it, and that's when when they took O'Brien. I was like, man, I didn't see that coming. But <laughs> yeah, I was a little surprised. I was surprised that Miller wasn't the pick. I did. I, I expected them to take him or the guy that Detroit got, and I can't remember his name right now. Bellino? Yeah. Okay. Number 16 on the list, everybody's favorite giant, Samuel Moran. I had him ranked at 14. I somehow... Don't know what happened to me. I had some kind of fugue moment, and I ended up ranking him eleven. <laughs> I have first, the first time I did this list. I inadvertently left him off entirely, and then I somehow went back through and have him at eleven. And I have regrets. I am a I am pro Samuel Moran. You I all know. know this. I have him at twenty one. The opposite just, of that. I have him at twenty one just because I don't think I don't see a path for him uh the injuries set him back I I just don't know I I, I don't know and I like the guy I wish I knew I just he's gonna be the replacement for Gudis that's what, the path for him I know that but Gudis has two more years on his deal and you Samuel Moran him. and Samuel Moran's not gonna be healthy until after the trade deadline probably right I, which is fine he doesn't need to play I, this year he's recovering this he year. was a 2013 pick was He's, his draft year? He had surgery. It's not like he could play this year anyway. I He's just, recovering. Another he loss, play. another lost season for a guy that I just what is he, a third pair defenseman? Yeah, I, I probably. Just, yeah. You need them too. You do, and I love him, and I want him to excel here. I just don't know if he's going to. I mean, I have I think for me with Moran, it's just that I've always had my doubts of just how good he is. And now you're adding in the injury and you're adding in the fact that the defense is very quickly filling up. Like, yes, you could theoretically have a defense with all seven of the of the the younger guys. You could go Ghost Provorov, Sanheim, Myers, uh, uh, Moran and Haig. And boom, there's your there's your top six. But I just have my doubts that they're not going to at least want one veteran. Now, what I don't think it's going to be a veteran who's on this team now. But I think I have a doubt that at some point they're not going to go out and like trade for a guy. You know, trade trade a couple of their prospects for a legitimate top four defense. As long as to, his to name's Eric Carlson, I love it. Eric Carlson. But if they do that, like I'm just is he the guy who's the odd man out? Like maybe. And I've already had my concerns about his overall skill set translating to begin with. Now you're adding in the numbers game. Like I expected him to always be above Hague. I that's why I always thought he was going to be on this team because I never thought Hague was going to jump him. Mm-hmm. And the fact that Hague jumped him just adds another complicating factor. My thing that complicates it for me the most is 
The one thing you could never say about him is that he was plotting. Yes, he's big. Yes, he's a stay-at-home guy. Yes, he has a mean streak. But he could skate. And now put in a torn ACL on a big motherfucker. Like, I just don't know how that's going to recover. And I know it's not 10 years ago. I know it's not five years ago where the ACL is a devastating injury. It's not that level anymore. But on a guy that size, I just don't know. I guess that's fair. I, I, I'm not that concerned about it, but I do I do acknowledge that that does add a little bit more risk, that not every single athlete does come back from ACL surgery the same way. Um, the vast majority of them do because surgery is awesome now and the medical yeah. profession's gotten significantly better than it was 20 years ago. But it does add a risk factor. There's always, I mean, look at Stolars. So can you can you ever foresee a day when this, they have six defensemen that dressed and their names are Proverov, Gossespierre, Sanheim, Myers, Hagen, Moran? Yeah, wouldn't that be delicious? With Dave Haxtall not as the coach? Yeah, uh, I mean, Ron I mean, Haxtall yeah. not the GM. But like, even if it's one game, it would, ha- it would have to be a couple years in the future. But I, yes. I, I would I would say no, but that's just a gut feeling. Okay, because it would it would have to be. It could happen. Maybe next year, if McDonald were to get hurt and they have to bring up Moran or Myers or something, I guess it could happen. I would bet no, but it could. I'm I'm super high on Moran, and I can't I can't believe that Kelly ranked him ahead. <laughs> I don't know what happened to me. I maintain uh, that Kurt fiddled with my ranking. <laughs> I the Russians hacked your ranking. They did for a Canadian. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I I just I love the skill set that he brings to the table and he's had a really shit go of it lately with injuries but I don't think that it's necessarily going to hold him back from his future I with the team. I really really hope not cuz I'm dying to see this guy beat somebody up. <laughs> I just want to see him fight one time in the NHL. I just want our our penalty kill to be better. <laughs> I would love to see him just grab a hold of like I, I don't know Tom Wilson and just Pound his face in a mincemeat. That would be pretty sad. Oh, my God. If they hadn't reached all the way down and drafted him entirely too high, no one would give a shit about there, Dan Moran. But, like... He still would be a 6'7", dude. I think people would give a shit about him. They would. would if they ranked to. him in, like... If they picked him in, like, the second Talk round... Talk into the microphone. I can't hear you. If they had picked him in the second round, it would have been like, oh, maybe he'll work out. Maybe Just pretend Haig they got in the first round and Moran they got in the second, and it's all uh. good. I, I've never liked him. But, you know. I know that you haven't. But he have ranked you him looked, eleven. Have, have you, <laughs> no, number didn't. one, you ranked him eleven. And have you did. looked at that draft? Like, the, who else would you have taken? No, not him. Morrissey. Okay. <laughs> um. So our spoiler. Who do we have at fifteen? Yeah. Spoiler for tomorrow is Isaac Ratcliffe. The rat. The rat. <laughs> who I'm super excited about since I saw him He's at a big boy. training camp. Ratcliffe is number two on my irrational love list behind, <laughs> behind Jay O'Brien. Yeah. I, I'm excited about him. All right, gang, that is all the time we have for you on BSH Radio this week. Thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you for joining us. Uh, you can hear me tonight on the overnight program with Big Daddy Graham on 94 WIP from 2 to 5. Heck yeah. For Charlie, for Steph, for Kelly. Have a great week, everybody. Are you ready to talk about
Hey guys, this is John Stolnes from The Good Fight and the Phillies podcast, Hitting Season, where I talk to Phillies beat writers, broadcasters, and fellow Good Fight bloggers, as well as national baseball writers, and the occasional interview with Matt Klintak and Gabe Kapler. Also, you'll get continued success, a Phil's podcast hosted by Justin Clue and Liz Rocher covering all things Phillies, and The Dirty Inning, a hilarious podcast hosted by Justin and Trevor Strunk, looking at the very worst innings in Phillies history. Make sure you are subscribed to The Good Fight podcast feed.